This week, we have a great conversation with Lauren Ballard, who currently resides in Tampa Bay, Florida. Lauren was born and raised in Indianapolis, Indiana. We talked with Lauren about her start in the industry at a young age, working as a hostess, her time spent working in the first disabled combat veteran-owned distillery in the U.S., as well as how the concept of sustainability and Lauren's transition to a vegan-based diet has influenced her approach to creating cocktails. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of the Industry Podcast. I am Kip. With me, as always, Dan. What's going on, man? Uh, not too much going on you in my life. Uh, same old, same yeah. old, same old. Groundhog uh, Day. Yeah. What about you? How are things going with you? Same thing. Same yeah. thing. Nothing changes. Wow, uh, wonderful. <laughs> We're a pile of excitement. Yeah. yeah I don't, thank God nobody listens for the intros. Yes, uh, that's true. <laughs> we have a great guest, as always. So we should just get to that. Um, we're going to bring her in in just a minute. Lauren Ballard coming to us from Tampa Bay, Florida today. Uh, if you like what you're hearing on the Industry Podcast, you should subscribe, rate, and review. That helps us out a lot. Um, and if you want to be on the show, just DM us at the Industry Podcast and... Uh, We'll get you hooked up. Uh, thanks, as always, to Zach Hanna of at Zach Hanna Designs, Z-A-K-H-A-N-N-A-H, uh, for the artwork he does for us. Uh, so that's enough of that shit. Let's just get to it here. Uh, Lauren Ballard, how's it going? How are you? Hi. How are you guys? Well, like we, we just say every week, COVID good. That's correct. <laughs> We're COVID good. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But uh, as we were talking before we started recording, COVID doesn't really exist in Florida, right? So it's just business as usual there? (laughs) Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Um, It's definitely been interesting to say the least because I am not from Florida originally. So I've been here for the past three years or so, and uh, it's all been very interesting. So (laughs) I guess we'll talk more about that sometime. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, what exactly has been the situation? Has there been any shutdown or lockdown on restaurants and bars at all during this? Yeah. So um, it'll be actually a year ago on St. Patrick's Day that um, the restaurant that I currently work at uh, shut down. And we were closed for, I think, like seven and a half or eight weeks, Mm. um, which is obviously very minimal compared to lots of the rest of the world. So um, that time frame was very interesting. I I thought I was under the impression, maybe as were most other people, that it was going to be a limited amount of time, maybe like two, three weeks. We would get something else figured out. You know, who knows what. Mm-hmm. Um, but it obviously lasted longer and has continued to last longer than I think people anticipated. Um, there's <laughs> definitely... Uh, you know, taking it more seriously than others in different areas of the world um, and different areas of, you know, even our city. So not like Florida is just always this awful stepchild, but, you know, most <laughs> <times>. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we were closed for a little while. Uh, and what kind of place is the place that you're working at? How yeah, so um, I I work at a place called On Swan. It was actually voted uh Best of Tampa Bay in 2020, which is amazing because obviously that is mid-pandemic that we received that accolade. Mm. Um, And it is a high volume, um, uh, more like uh, high standard, but business casual restaurant um, and cocktail craft cocktail bar. Mm -hmm. So it is really awesome. I love the people I work with. Um, I've been there for, I just celebrated two years, uh, the beginning of last month. So, yeah. It's Congratulations. Been Thank you. Um, you're welcome. So, uh, what is the craft cocktail scene like in Tampa? I, I've spent a little bit of time in Tampa, but it, uh, the area that I was in, it seemed more, a lot of bowling alleys. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> not a bowling alley, huh? Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I found, so my first time actually ever visiting the West side of the state was in November of 2017. So I'd only ever been to, um, the East coast, Miami, et cetera. Um, and it was, it was my first introduction to Tampa Bay. And, um, I found that I had like a handful of places that I knew that I loved and befriended those people there. So it seemed pretty minimal, but as I understand it, in terms of the actual city, Um, because I've only been in Tampa for two years and Orlando prior to that. 
um, that it has been on the up and up for, um, I would say like the last five years or so. Mm. Um, I think there's a lot of great opportunities here and it is just exponential growth. Um, the, I live about 10 minutes North of where I work and maybe 15 minutes from downtown. And there's just little pockets of different places in each neighborhood that really offer, um, a lot of craft cocktailing, uh, options. And, um, I myself am what I like to refer to as kind of like vegan ish, uh, prior <laughs> to this pandemic, <laughs> like I only ate, I could never give up sushi. And that was always the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, kind of follow some some vegan guidelines, if you will, besides that. So there's definitely little pockets of those areas as well. But I also find that that lifestyle influences um, how I bartend and how I create cocktails. Mm. But anyhow, there are a lot of offerings in the actual city. Um, and obviously, we <laughs> received a number of, uh, I guess, people being interested in being here. Um, certainly, if you're interested in sports, Right. <laughs> yeah, that's the only place to go. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, open beaches and among other things. Mm-hmm. So it's just because you touched on it, how how would you say that your vegan-ish-ism does influence your bartending and craft cocktailing? In what ways? Yeah, that's such a beautiful way to put it. So I am originally from Indianapolis. And my first, I guess, my first real bartending experience was at a place called Hotel Tango Artisan Distillery. And my apologies. I am very grateful to work very many hours, but my voice is kind of wavering because, <laughs> you know, yelling behind a mask for 55 plus hours a week is a little aggressive. Right. Um, <laughs> but uh, when I worked at that uh, the distillery, they are legally only allowed to serve anything they make. Um, And so that really allowed for us to become very creative in how we design things. And um, I think we started then, you know, just offering, you know, any sort of like dairy options. We're going to be non-dairy related. Um, And it just kind of started there. And that happened to kind of reflect where I was moving with my personal dietary influences and restrictions. And um, so I pretty much create anything, anything that might have like a a milk aspect to it. um, I try and use anything different. So whether it's coconut milk, almond milk, uh, oat milk, um, I haven't created my own milks yet. I'm not, I'm not that far into veganism, I guess you could say, (laughs) but, um, but I definitely want to. Um, But that really gave me like a really good perspective. and an opportunity to really utilize my imagination and creativity. Um, and I just kind of find like, that was my first introduction at the distillery to aquafaba and shrubs and just, you know, having an, um, a way to create things outside of the norm, I guess you could say, especially because they couldn't bring any outside spirits in. So trying to mimic a vermouth or trying to mimic just any other liqueur that, existed that mm-hmm. you really couldn't have in the distillery to create co- cocktails. And I mean, uh, let's see, four rotating menus and, uh, or seasonally and 15 cocktails on each, 15 to 25. I think at max one time we had 25 additional cocktails. Ooh, wow. And it was just like, hallelujah and holy shit, my God. Yeah, that's crazy. Because especially like you said, if you can't use any like standard um like the sort of standard crutches that uh, bartenders have that they like using a vermouth or a, or an amaro or some sort of bitter like that. If you if then if they don't distill that, you really have to get creative. Uh, oh, what yeah. what did they actually make there? Um, so when I first started, which is in February of 2015, uh, they only made vodka, rum, and gin. Mm. And I think the portfolio now exists where it is vodka, rum, gin. Um, there's a reserve bourbon, I believe, whiskey, lemoncello, orange cello. They briefly made a moonshine rum. And then sometimes there are, uh, in the tasting room in downtown Indianapolis, there is a number of infusions, um, mm-hmm. but that exist in the portfolio available. I don't, I, to be honest with you, I don't know where they are available for purchase now. Um, but I believe the ones that I just previously listed are all available. So I think they have like eight or nine. Spirits available. 
Oh, wow. So we should touch on this for a second. That The distillery is a disabled veteran-owned distillery. Is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, really amazing. Um, Travis Barnes and his wife, Hillary, are um, the co-owners. And um, he served three tours. Uh, and they, they were in ownership with a few other people originally. Um, but a, a handful of those people... Uh, went to law school and um, at one point, I think Travis was like making whiskey on the side and decided that he was like not interested in law school anymore. Um, but Hillary was, and uh, they, it's kind of, forgive me because I might mar the the story briefly, but I want to say sometime in like January or I'm sorry, September of 2013, maybe, um, they were still able to get licensing in Indianapolis where you did not have to be brewing or um, making wine prior to being able to distill spirits. <clears throat> I think that changed in January of 2014. So they literally got in just in time, which is also why they're only able to sell what they make. Um, so it was, it's, it is really incredible. I guess they were the first disabled combat veteran-owned distillery in the U.S., and there's certainly a few that followed. Um, I actually originally moved to Tampa because I was going to play a different role for uh, Hotel Tango in Florida, um, and then that got put on hold indefinitely, but they introduced me to Horse Soldier, uh, which is uh, American Freedom Distillery, which was originally out of St. Pete, and they have relocated, I believe, to Kentucky. Mm. But from your bio, it suggested that you were going to be their brand ambassador. Is that accurate? Yes, so, exactly. And why, like, do they have brand ambassadors in other states or why did they choose Florida or? You know, great question. I, um, so I was originally, when I first moved to Florida, it was just, oh, I had been meaning to leave Indianapolis for like, I don't know, 10 years or so. Um, <laughs> small period of time, yeah. obviously. The beaches um, are better in Florida, right? So. <laughs> Exactly. So, uh, <laughs> so I saw a note on my general manager's desk at the time that had said something along the lines of like Tampa 2019. And I inquired about it and they said that they were um, just kind of hoping to open more locations or at least get the word out there, start, you know, selling more um, nationally. And I was like, okay, well, I, I want to go back to Florida because uh, I was in Orlando for like eight or nine months. And then I went back to Indianapolis for a few, worked in the tasting room and saw that note. And then we kind of briefly talked about it and trying to get it figured out. And um, yeah, then I was going to be their northern and central Florida sales rep and kind of traveling four days a week from but anywhere between like Orlando, Tampa, Pensacola. Who wants to go there? Apparently people do. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I say this as if I live in like the best city in Florida, which is <laughs> the best. I don't think so, but maybe I'm wrong. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's just all graded on a curve. Like you're, you're definitely, I, I've been to a few places in Florida. I would give Tampa over Jacksonville for sure. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I completely agree with you. And, and I'm I, guessing, I mean, yeah, I'm guessing the nightlife in uh, Tampa is a little bit better than Indianapolis as well. So while I, I, I can certainly appreciate that. Um, it is definitely <laughs> different. I mean, Indianapolis, I'm born and raised there. So I guess I have, you know, I can definitely pay, pay tribute to that and um, how that went. But it is also like exponential growth in that in that city too over the last 15 years. Oh, really? um, it's the same size, it's same population as Boston, just much more spread out. Is that right? So, yeah. So, well, and like, I, and- I'm sure it is. Otherwise you wouldn't have said it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just come with, I just come with like, like, Lies and I say they're fun facts, but they're just all lies. That'd be yeah. <laughs> um, we wouldn't fucking know, Laura. Yeah. So don't worry. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just eating it up. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, like, no fact check on a podcast. Fuck that. <laughs> um, but uh, so you know, Indianapolis it's, itself is great. I again, born and raised there. I went to school in the Northeast, and then I was like, yeah, fuck this cold weather. There's mm. other places that exist, right? So. Why don't we do that? Move, but yeah, that like <laughs> yeah. nightlife nightlife doesn't, I don't think exist really in Indianapolis right now. Um, I don't, I don't really know how it's going ironically. And I hate saying this, but the only two places that I've traveled in the last year 
our home, Indianapolis and San Diego. Mm. So, um, Quite the contrast between those two, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. Um, but it's definitely different. I mean, of course, Florida's very different. Different is the kindest way to describe it, I believe. <laughs> but, you know, it, it does. It has its it has its pros and cons for sure. Um, I found, or I find, I guess I could say that, um, you know, this is very much a, a college city, um, mm. because there's so many, so many here, um, whether it's like USF or UT or whatever. Mm. Um, so I feel like we're kind of surrounded by a, a younger population who is definitely into going out whether or not there is a pandemic. Yeah. Um, so, and, and of course, you know, I am I cannot emphasize enough how grateful I am to have been in a city that was, you know, 85 degrees when I did have a stay at home order. Yeah. And, and grateful that even though I don't necessarily agree with the politics of it all, I was able to go back to a job that was again, offered to me again Mm -hmm. after eight weeks. So, you know, eternally grateful for that. Well, I actually have the dubious distinction of being kicked out of the residence at USF. Uh, <laughs> when I was going to university here in Waterloo, we were visiting a friend there and uh, we all got thrown out. Um, <laughs> really? I didn't even realize they had rules. That's so interesting. Yeah, well, apparently. You know. <laughs> uh, you know, one thing I definitely know is you're not allowed to pass out in their elevator. Well, <laughs> That's, I feel like that's how you get initiated. That's just weird. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's, uh, let's back it up and talk about how you first broke into the industry. You were you started in Indianapolis, obviously, and you were fairly young. You were a hostess? Yeah, so my dad um, works for Republic National Distributing Company and has for almost as long as I've been alive, so one of the uh, larger national distributors in the U.S., and he's in the wine division. Ooh. So when I was in high school, I think um, one of his, who is now a good friend of his, but somebody who owned um, like four different restaurants in Indianapolis. Um, I ended up working at like three of those throughout my high school tenure. So I was a hostess and I think a server at uh, Googie's Gourmet Burgers oh. back in Googie's. a million years ago. However, well, however old I was, I can't even remember. <laughs> so that, um, how did you feel like work is starting breaking in at such a young age and working those hostess type jobs we've had a lot we've talked a lot with on the show with people who've started in that started like as a hostess and and had a lot to say about how it helped them uh when they move further in their career as a server and or bartender just some of the skills you learned yeah i mean started from the bottom now we're here right yeah exactly um i i kind of feel like my parents in general just how they raised me i don't know if this makes sense but it kind of mimics service industry standards for me, just kind of treating everybody um, with respect or like as a VIP, as you might put it, you know, and relatively speaking, until they give you a reason not to. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that was just always the standard of the places that I worked and how I understood how to interact with um, people in general. I I think (laughs) over time, you know, you get a little bit hardened to different scenarios and maybe to different... um, attitudes or exchanges with people so you yeah, know i, I, I once got a, i got a, like a callus where my smile used to be yeah, exactly. <laughs> but now with masks it doesn't matter <laughs> I was gonna say, can you even tell like do you know if it's like i'm yeah. like you know telling you to fuck off behind this or yeah. what? <laughs> <laughs> you bounce around to a few places you work in those three spots and then uh, you're serving at some point, you're moving along. And talk to us about a couple of the other places you worked in Indianapolis. It sounds like you worked in a few. Um, yeah. So I have, um, I'm very grateful. I guess maybe I wasn't, you know, I've always had tenure in most places. So I've worked for places for lengthy periods of time. Um, as as mentioned, I was at, you know, the distillery for like four and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, and prior to that, I worked at a really wonderful place. Uh, it's a new like Latin cuisine place called Delicia. Um, so when I, I, you know, I was, I've been in and out of the industry since I think 2000, 2000, let's say. So, <laughs> wow. What is now 21 years? My God. Okay. <laughs> um, so, the, you know, those places, whatever I went to college, I worked, uh, at Syracuse, I worked 
at a couple of bars there, mostly as a hostess because I was at like the senior bar. They were very strict about, you know, who came in and who, you know, if you had a fake, you were going to get kicked out. There was a number of other bars that in Syracuse, New York, you could go. So it was like, you know, get the hell out of here. They were actually a little bit pissed off at me when I had been coming in to drink for a little bit of time. And then I came in for my 21st birthday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... So I did a little bit of that. And after after I graduated, I was kind of, like I said, in and out of the industry. I have a degree in fashion design and magazine journalism. So I did you know, some things in my industry, some things not in my industry at all, and some things in our industry. So I worked at... When I went back into our industry, I worked at this uh, place called Delicia. And that was my first experience without you know just kind of doing it on my own at home that I started making cocktails for the menu without really being a bartender. I just kind of like, here's what I like to drink or here's some things I haven't seen yet. Or what I started to do was use ingredients from the menu uh, to create cocktails. Because mm. I, what I didn't realize at the time was it was more of a, you know, a, a low waste uh, option for us. You know, if we're going to be buying these ingredients and what have you anyway, mm-hmm. let's see what, you know, what else we can do with them. So I was a server there um, for, I want to say like two years or so. Um, and I, we had a couple of, it was kind of ironic because I was in a couple cocktail competitions, one of which was called Mutt Cup and was, uh, a benefit for cats and dogs, uh, mostly <laughs> dogs, I believe based on the mutt aspect of it, but I was representing the Latin American restaurant, but it was being hosted by the distillery, which I also worked for one night a week. Oh. <laughs> so I hope but, you won at least. <laughs> uh, I did actually uh, in two different categories, one one each year. So that was kind of exciting too. But um, that was really you know where I kind of first started um, making cocktails. But again, not really on the bartending side of things. And then I started bartending at the distillery. So and then I got hired to bartend here in Florida, and um, I've just been helping out really wherever they needed. But um, I bartended for a little while. And then when we had the stay at home order, they brought people back. They didn't, they only needed like one bartender kind of, I don't want to say for obvious reasons, but we didn't have bar seating for such a long time Mm -hmm. that we, and and we were at, I want to say 25% capacity when we first reopened. So we were limited in, you know, how many we could seat in the restaurant, which I think our capacity is pretty low relatively speaking anyway. So I, you know, jumped for the opportunity to continue to serve as well, uh, just to, you know, be able to go back to work and honestly interact with people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I mean, I can't speak on everyone's behalf, but as somebody who lives by myself with no animals and fairly limited plant selection, you know, my like, <laughs> I was ready to get back and talk to people. Yeah. So when you transitioned originally from serving to making cocktails at this Latin restaurant, did they approach you about that? Or did you just say, oh, I have some ideas for a cocktail yeah, list? Um, relatively speaking, I think I was kind of like, oh, I think this sounds good. Or our general manager at the time, who's now a good friend of mine, would create, you know, we do, I think we did features maybe once a week. So we'd have a wine feature and a cocktail feature. And it just became something that I was like, oh, let's try this. Or, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to try something out, see if this works. And, you know, it just sometimes it did, sometimes it didn't, of course. And I think that also got other people who weren't necessarily in the bartending position to be open-minded to, you know, trying something that they were interested in, whether it completely sucked or did not completely suck. Right. We were you know, given that opportunity. That's actually... I, th- I don't remember if we were approached about the um, competition first or if I created the cocktail first, but that was um, how the, you know, the first, first year went down. I was just super interested in trying something out and it, it worked out well for us. Mm, nice. <laughs> um, it actually uh, became, it was called Pequeño Flamenco and it was basically like a watermelon juice, serrano pepper, cilantro, it was a rum-based cocktail from what I remember. Lime juice. I think there was probably simple in there, I imagine. I don't even know what I've said. So, yeah, something like that. <laughs> um, but it actually ended up becoming like the number one selling cocktail at the restaurant, which oh, was super. Nice. Yeah. I didn't mean for that to happen, but that was dope. So, yeah. <laughs> Cause it's Just because this um, industry can be 
a little petty and competitive at times. Did you have any blowback from like whatever the bar, the main bartender at that restaurant, or was there a main bartender? At the time, at least at <clears throat> Delicia, there was not really a main bartender. I actually, that particular, for that reason, I think, relatively speaking, I feel like I've always been humble enough to say, hey, this isn't really my role or my position. So I'm willing to reach out to somebody who might have more experience or just something to add to the dynamic. So that in particular, I worked with one of the bartenders there to create the cocktail. And it was more like I wasn't really well-versed in how to balance the cocktail yet. So that was how we worked together. But for the most part, I don't think so. When we actually had the competition, I joked with the person who was representing the distillery that I was like, all I want to do is beat you. Because he was like, he was one of the I mean, I still look up to his his palate, if you will. He was just so great at creating cocktails. And, you know, we we really all were. We were all just a, we're like the breakfast club of cocktail creation and just all these different minds and backgrounds coming together to create all this cool stuff. But I really, I joked with him at the time, but then I ended up beating him and that was freaking <laughs> awesome. So, <laughs> but of course we featured his cocktail at the distillery. All right. (laughs) So it sounds like you've had sort of a unique experience that way, in a way that at the Latin spot, you're sort of using ingredients off the menu, which then you find out down the line that like you're probably a bar owner's, like speaking as a bar owner, you'd be a bar owner's dream to have as a bartender because like anytime there's no waste, that's like the greatest thing for the ownership. And then the sort of getting handcuffed, sort of like a one hand tie behind your back at the distillery with only being able to use certain types of spirits. And then like, if you could talk to us a little bit about how that, those sort of challenges almost have influenced you and, and, uh, maybe sped your growth along a little bit. For sure. So you say, I mean, you worded it as like one hand tied behind your back, but from not knowing anything really prior to, or not really having access prior to, I didn't really see it as a crutch per se, Mm. because we were so encouraged to just do all these things. We finally got to a place where we had like a management team, ironically, who had all worked at a different bar in Indianapolis together so they were much more familiar with anything outside spirit related. And maybe this sounds a little ridiculous, but being introduced to spirits when I was young, I, you know, I was drinking like absolute, you know, I had a fairly limited palate in that regard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was like, okay. I like, you know, like three things. And, you know, even my parents, you know, we were like, okay, we like margaritas and we like this. And, and it was very kind of one note. So I didn't, I wasn't really exploring Amaro's and shrubs or, you know, what have you. So we really, I think, took it as a a positive. But then I realized in transitioning. So really right now, um, over the last couple of years is my first like traditional bartending experience, if you could say. So I feel like when I was working in that regard, sometimes I was still working off the mindset that I had limited options. And I think occasionally that was... I wouldn't say troubling, but I was making it harder than it needed to be mm-hmm. uh, because I was already like used to it being limited, if you will. And then, you know, I'm like, oh, I have all these other options. I, I don't have to like, you know, ha- go ha- like grow a, a freaking lime and then pick them all myself. And then, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that has been really exciting for me too. just just to learn. I mean, honestly, about a lot of things I, I really wasn't familiar with or, or utilizing before. You know, for me in particular, uh, I recently really only got into Amaro's and I actually just finished one over the weekend. It's called Lo-Fi Aperitifs. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but they, they're out of Napa and they make a sweet vermouth, a dry vermouth and this gentian Amaro. And I have pretty much anybody I can get to like come into my apartment in a pandemic scenario. <laughs> um, I'm like, hey, try this. It's amazing. And, you know, I've just become more familiar with how I want to utilize it, whether it's drinking it at home. And not necessarily lo-fi, but, uh, you know, other Amaros and and how I want that to be in cocktails and things of that nature. So that's been super cool for me personally. Um, and just, you know, my growth in general, I have, I was definitely introduced to some things at the distillery. Like I, I made a, a hibiscus infused moonshine Ooh. because in, you know, 
how many how many moonshines are really that palatable, right? That's not right. It's not exactly uh, its forte, if you will. So right. we ended up making a really cool cocktail. I think it was called Blood Moon because it was really beautiful red, and I'm I imagine it had aquafaba in it. To be honest with you, I don't even remember the build, but it was a really nice way to make this spirit that we made palatable and beautiful, and people wanted to drink it, but you know, I got introduced to some things there and that really made me want to create more. So during stay at home, I started experimenting with different syrups and uh, just, I, I haven't made a shrub yet, but I definitely want to. I'm very much a vinegar-based condiment type of girl. So mm. yeah, give me all the vinegar possible. And that is mm. that is definitely uh, an acquired taste too. It's kind of like cilantro in that regard. I yeah. feel like you either love it or you hate it. So. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, we should give a little shout out to St. Luna Moonshine when we're talking That's about correct. it. Yeah, Apparently, we haven't had a chance to to drink it yet, but we did have them on the show to discuss their moonshine, and apparently it's very palatable. So shout out to previous guests. Yeah, David Souk. David Souk, that's right. Thank you. Okay, so you you originally, so the, you leave the story, you come out to Florida, and you're, you're assuming you're going to be an ambassador or rep for this distillery. So at what point do you find out that's not happening anymore? Why didn't it happen? So a day and a half before I decided to move to Tampa, I found out Uh um, there was a a little glitch in the matrix and there was just a miscommunication, I guess, between ownership and who I was speaking with and timeframes. And it, it just, I guess there was like, they had decided, oh, hey, we're not going to do this right now or, or we're not going to invest in this scenario right now. So that got relayed to me and I was a little, you know, obviously confused by it all and trying to figure out, okay, should I still move? Should I not? I had just been in Orlando, which I had gotten out of the industry when I was in Orlando. I was trying to focus more on kind of like my fashion design stuff, if you will, and uh, found out that the job wasn't going to be there for me. But then I kind of had to weigh my options as to whether or not it made sense for me to still move. And I had actually kind of come from a, a really challenging perspective. I This is neither here nor there, but I when I left Orlando, I had been homeless for a couple of months. Oh, so yeah, so it was like, okay, am I gonna, about to get stuck in this situation again? I had a job lined up. Now and I had a plate. I had just put a deposit on an apartment, so it was kind of like, oh god, oh god, what am I going to do? And then I thought, you know what? I've been trying to leave Indianapolis for forever. Really, what is the worst case scenario? I, I you know, as a low point, or a, definitely a learning process in my life. I feel like I've already been at a low point, and I know I can get through it. But you know, it was like, okay, forget it. I'm going to go. Let's just see what happens. And I'm super grateful because you know I found this job within like a week and a half or two weeks. Um, I was, again, they, uh, Hotel Tango hooked me up with American Freedom people and I was going to do some things for them, but they were just like so busy with everything that they had going on. It was kind of challenging to figure out how they were going to train me when they were just like an influx of things happening for them, right. which is amazing. But I was like, whoa, this is, uh, you know, when do they have the time? And Speaking of, you know, veganish things, hmm. when I first moved to Tampa, I hopped on a couple of vegan Facebook group pages. So that's actually how I found the restaurant that I work at. I was just kind of reaching out saying, hey, where do you guys go for vegan cocktails? Because I was under the impression maybe I could uh, make some uh, or create some menus for for different restaurants. Oh, yeah, sure. That's a good idea. And yeah, I, I was interested in it, certainly. Hmm. So... I had someone respond to me who happens to be one of the administrators. And she said, hey, my husband is actually the general manager of this place in Tampa. Do you want me to send him your resume? And I was like, oh my gosh, that would be amazing. Uh, And that was my previous manager, Vicente at Answan. And that's I was the first person... um, they hired over. He had an interview with me by phone because they had like a family emergency the day he was supposed to interview me. So he was like, you are literally the first person I've ever hired over the phone based yeah. on this conversation. So obviously it worked out well. And yeah. definitely, uh, you know, another cute little way of life there that helped influence where I am now. 
Do you think that um, I didn't just because you brought it up? I never really thought about that. Like, I, there's lots of people doing bar consulting right now, where they come mm-hmm. in, they build a list for you, they show you how to do it, to train your staff, etc. Do you think that there is um, a laneway for something more specific, where it's like, like you go, you can go bar to bar consulting on specifically vegan cocktails? You know, I never really thought about it like that, but since you're bringing it up, I'm sure there is. I think mm-hmm. as I'm. I'm definitely, you know, in in the in the industry now, but I want to focus more and what I decided to focus more on is sustainability and fashion. Mm-hmm. So that is obviously a pretty specific knit, uh, niche itself. So I think the same thing could be said for I don't want to say solely consulting, but being, you know, niche certified if you will in like vegan cocktail menu. Right. Um, yeah. I, I do think there is such an opportunity for for bartenders, servers, whoever you may be in this industry. I think people are more educated and are interested in being more educated in general. So I don't know that somebody specific would be required because I do think the people who are doing it well and really excited about it are opening their minds up to those sorts of things anyway. Right. And how can we provide you know more, more opportunities for more people and what they're I say dietary restrictions and, and allergies because I say it so often at work, but just their way of life, you know, yeah. like what that looks like for them now. Yeah. And and I think that is super cool. I mean, that's really honestly how I came about doing it, being, you know, at the distillery. And again, we say it as limited in this conversation, but that's really how I learned to do it. Right. So yeah, I think I do think there, yes, probably is an opportunity, but I think people are so much more excited about where things are going now or how the industry can or would be changing. Like I, when I, when I was first talking to people about egg white cocktails back in the distillery and saying, Oh, this is a thing that's been happening over the last, let's say five years or so. I'm not going to lie. I don't feel like I keep up with the, the trends in the industry, but I, maybe that's a trend, you know, maybe it is like appealing to what's newer and what's going on with what, people's lifestyles and that sort of thing. So maybe yeah. it's, maybe I, I think maybe, I think it, maybe it is moving that way for sure. Um, did you, so I know you're now concentrating on your, um, on sustainability and fashion, maybe trying to make another, seems like you've made a lot of little turns in your life and your <laughs> career. <laughs> so yeah. maybe thinking, maybe thinking about another one, but do you, uh, do you still have any interest in doing anything like an ambassador or rep position or? You know, I have learned that everything is flexible all the time. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, I imagine if you've been homeless for a while, that that's one lesson you learn pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That was, and, you know, I, I say it, to say only a few times ever because I've always uh, donated time in that field ever since I was young. So I always want to be able to dedicate time, you know, for it, donating my time and otherwise, but also just humble myself occasionally too, not to get my, you know, ego too high up there, which is pretty common in our industry sometimes. Um, But just to remind myself, Hey, remember when this was going on for you? So definitely, I'm definitely open to, you know, lots of different things. And I think as I become introduced to just all these different areas. uh, So what we haven't really discussed and I, or I haven't really mentioned at all, the reason that I had been taking some trips to San Diego and I'm actually going again next week is to uh, find a place to live because I plan to move there in a couple of months. So, yeah. So a couple of things that I had been interested in are some brand ambassadorships working with hard kombucha. So, oh, nice. yeah. so oh. like there's, I mean, there's so many different moving parts to this industry. And I think there's a lot, a lot of fun ones and creative ones. So mm. I'm, a, I think I'm always open to anything that revolves around that aspect, just because that is innately what I'm drawn to. Yeah, I, I think that like it's been, it was happening already, but I think the pandemic has, has sort of put this on hyperdrive for people in our industry where now we realize how broad the framework of what the industry, I'm using air quotes because this is a podcast, I think people should know, uh, broad the framework of uh, the industry can be as opposed to like, it's not literally just being behind the wood or carrying a tray or working in a kitchen. Like there's so many different... Uh, things that we can all get involved in and and the pandemic has sort of forced us to figure out what those are. 
Right. Absolutely. I know Leah Pumpkin was on. It's kind of funny. Yancy Violi, her boyfriend, we have been... That's the industry podcast super couple. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was I was gonna I was also using air quotes because Yancy and I have been friends for like maybe rapidly approaching two years, but we've never actually met. So no. when he was doing celebrity bartending in New York, uh, Horse Soldier hired him to do their I was gonna say coming out party, but that's clearly not what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Leah's in for a surprise. <laughs> oh man. Oh man, we could go off on a tangent about that, couldn't we? Um, <laughs> but when they were when uh, he did their party in New York, and I didn't realize how active, how openly communicative and active he was on Instagram. So I had reached out to him, be like, "Oh my gosh, you know, I almost work for them," and blah blah blah. And that's how we started talking, and we've just like we've talked ever since. Uh, like we have been, um, his family is in Florida, and we have been all of us been trying to meet up for freaking ever. So hopefully at some point that will actually happen in real life. That's crazy. There was a point to this. I have no idea what it was, but... <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Oh, yes. You were saying the... the oh, expanding. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember when things were first going on, and I think they were still in New York, they started doing like cocktail delivery. Mm-hmm. And I offered at one point, just if people were interested, hey, hit me up. We'll do a live. Let's go into your fridge we're going to make a cocktail with stuff you have in the fridge right now. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I was just like, that is fun for me. That's how, I mean, half the stuff I create that I eat, I'm like, okay, what do I have left in here? What the heck are we going to do with this? Um, And then, you know, I had a couple of friends here who used to be bartenders who I met when I first checked out Tampa and they were doing the same thing. They, they, I had one friend, he now manages this, place that recently opened up in St. Pete. I think it was called Six Foot Distilling. <laughs> and he did a little bit of uh, like bottling different cocktails that he was making and uh, he hand delivered them. And there's this, you know, a few others doing similar things that I also didn't realize how, how much we were missed, if that makes sense too. In the fact that, of course, people, you know, wanting to go out when, when you are given a restriction of staying at home, how, you know, you're like, oh my God, I have to get out of here. I have to get out of here. But how much people really appreciate their local watering hole or bartender or server or whatever that looks like for them. And I just thought, I mean, I had a a few different regulars who I'm friends with on social media or they, I mean, they have my phone number. A couple people just Venmoed me money because uh, like I have this one couple I apparently made the best gimlet they've ever had. And I was like, well, somebody must have taught you wrong along the way because this is not challenging, but I appreciate it. (laughs) And every time that they made cocktails at home, they would send me a tip. And I just... Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I am just so touched by the amount of humans who just said, hey, I miss seeing your face. And you you were so good to me when I was there. Here's money for you when you're not working. That's amazing. And, For yeah. pe- people not listening in the industry right now, I actually think if you have bartenders that you miss, that's something you should be doing right now. It's a great idea and such a kind oh, thing absolutely. to do. Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, again, I forget, I don't want to say I forget, but, you know, this is something because Florida has been reopened or at least Tampa has been reopened for so long or, or we never really went backwards per se. Um, we, you know, only continued to open further. I forget what it was like back then. You know, I was so touched by those those things. And I I would love to mimic that. Again, if you have people that, you know, you appreciate or you miss or whatever, just reaching out to them to see what you can do for them. Or maybe if there's an opportunity at that restaurant or bar for like, I know there was a couple of different places that were just doing like a, a Venmo system for they would pool, you know, to go tips for everybody or whatever that looked like. I I strongly encourage that as well. So completely agree with that. Yeah, that's really, it's a really great idea. I want to talk about, we'll let you go soon. We've you've given us a lot of your time, but I just want to touch on right before we, um, we do that, but like, just sort of talk a little bit about like, uh, we don't, I don't want to get all political about this, but obviously the U.S. is a very polarized place right now. And Florida seems to be almost the epicenter of that in, in certain ways. What has it been like serving people during the pandemic in Florida? Oh man, there's definitely been there's definitely been some interesting scenarios. I find that 
at least at my restaurant, my hostesses get the flack the most. It's not usually me. I have, I'm pretty quick witted. Uh, mm. I'd like, I'd like to think. So I usually have a, I w- I'm going to say a politically, politically polite, but also sarcastic comeback for most people that, ha- you know, want to come at me with anything. Relatively speaking, I think we've had, you know, most guests are, they under, they understand the scenario. They understand that, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to come into a restaurant and these are, these are the rules that are in place because there's a, I don't know, a pandemic, unless you live through a Spanish flu, nobody knows what this is like. I used to, you know, regularly say, thank you for your flexibility. We're all handling this, you know, together. I had a few different instances that was, that were just kind of like weird for me. I remember one of the first times coming back, I think we were still at 25%. We were told that if we're uncomfortable in any sort of circumstance, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to be a part of it. Absolutely not. You're not required to, you know, if you, if you feel uncomfortable, come talk to a manager. You do not have to serve them. You do not, you know, you're not required. But I had this scenario where I had walked up to a, a table and I saw some like bandages around their arm that looked like they had just given blood. And it was still within the, I mean, still like maybe May of last year. So, you know, we're still like two months into we had just reopened, but like something around then where this is still fairly new for all mm. of us in mm. terms of navigating it. And I had, you know, I said something like, oh, did you give blood recently? Knowing good and well, that was probably not the case. And I'm like, oh yeah, we just got tested for antibodies. And I didn't really think much of it with the exception of immediately going to my management and saying, hey, don't let anybody else serve this table. I've been I've been the first, you know, the only person to interact with them. I don't want anybody else to have to be if there is some sort of, you know, exposure whatever, I want me to be the person who is the only person doing that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why I decided that, you know, let me be the scapegoat for this situation. Um I was I worked a double that day and then I like went home in between to launder my clothing and cried because oh. I was so emotionally overwhelmed that just like Everything was fine. They were great. But I was just so overwhelmed with like, you really needed to go out that badly that, right. you know, you you know, maybe something is, is going on for you and you just don't care about other people who like, like, the, I don't, I don't know if that exists everywhere, but mm. I do kind of find that like, you don't, I mean, while people do miss their local spots, you don't have to be there. That is something I think everyone has learned. You can work from home. You can do all these things that don't require you to be in specific places. And I do find that sometimes we have guests or we have people who, I don't want to say take advantage of what politically Florida is like, Mm -hmm. but just don't necessarily adhere to it. I will tell you, it's kind of like a funny thing. A couple of weeks ago, this woman came in to uh, receive or to get food to go. And she had a French bulldog, which are my favorite types of dogs. And I always ask people before I can pet their animals because it's probably the right thing to do. But also, you don't know how this animal reacts to other other people or animals. And I, you know, I have never had anybody tell me no. But I walked up to her and I was like, "Hey, do you mind if I pet your dog?" And she said, um, "Actually, no." And I was like, "I thought you were messing with me." And she was like, "Well, you know, because of a pandemic, and my dog has really bad allergies." And so as we do sometimes in this industry, I went back and I bitched about it to other people. Mm-hmm. And one of my coworkers looked at me and just starts laughing. I was like, okay, actually, I was just pissed. I couldn't pet the dog. I get it. But also, why would you bring... If you're, if you're worried about a pandemic for your dog with allergies, why did you bring the dog out who has allergies into the restaurant? Yeah, I don't understand. There's so much of this like pandemic behavior that I understand. Like, like I'll be walking my dog outside and someone sees me coming towards them and walks like just beeline to the other side of the street, whips the mask up and saying, and I'm like, like, I'm all about wearing the mask out in public and all that stuff. But that, that, but like, if you're that frightened, like maybe you should just be staying home. <laughs> like, like it was clearly somebody just out for a stroll, but like, 
when you leave the house, sometimes you see other people. Like that's exactly. <laughs> it's been my experience. <laughs> this is an I am legend. There are still yeah. people out there. Right. So like, yeah, that's one of those things that again, you know, I'm using these as certainly different anecdotes because mm. of the circumstance. And and I do take it seriously for sure. But yeah, and we all have that, you know, take it with a grain of salt because again, there are you can only take life so seriously. Mm. However, uh, you know, like you said, if you do go out, know that these are the circumstances. So we still, you know, not that long ago, have a few people that we do try our best to accommodate whatever anybody is requesting. So maybe like prior to the holidays, we had somebody come in that said they were still social distancing. So with within their party, the people that they were dining with they wanted to social distance with. Oh, oh so wow. that, wonderful. That was, <laughs> that was an one. <laughs> It sounds like an oxymoron, right? So, yeah. you know, we pushed a few tables together so they could sit, sit six feet apart at their own. Wow. And then like different appetizers that we offer, they asked to have, you know, like cut up or put in separate whatever so they could be delivered to different parts of the table and Again, we are very, very accommodating, but it was one of those things that, again, I was kind of thinking like, <laughs> why didn't you just go have a picnic somewhere? <laughs> yeah. It's, well, it sounds like a move to San Diego is going to be fun for you based on uh, the politics there as opposed to Florida. And, uh, <laughs> and it'll, it'll definitely, uh, you know, I've always been more of a West Coast girl, so I'm very, very excited uh, for it, lots of different things, but certainly a, a different political alignment, alignment, and just a few other things that uh, appeal to me. Certainly, and apparently the world's most perfect climate. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, well, Lauren, I wish you all the luck with everything you're doing. Thanks for being on the show, and I, with your move and with your fashion career, we hope we keep you, uh, just a little part of you in the service industry because it sounds like you're. <laughs> a great fit for us as well as fashion. So thanks so much for doing the show and having me. It's yeah. been so much fun. Yeah. And good luck with everything. Thank you so much. I hope okay. you guys have a uh, wonderful evening. Is it evening? I don't even know if there's a time difference. I'm the yeah. worst. It is. Um, it's, it's, it's we're the same time, same time as you. Yeah. Yeah. Easter, yeah. Time. Yeah. Easter standard time. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> you have a great evening also. You're, you're probably still have sunshine though. Um, okay. It was a pleasure to meet you guys. Thanks again so much. Well, thanks Lauren. Thanks very much. Thank you. Bye -bye. Take care.